This is the Decade's Best with Nick Menezes. Live chat on highlights of the past decade. From the best songs, shows, movies, and more. Live from CMRU.ca. And to your host, Nick Menezes. Welcome, MRU. We're back with The Decade's Best. I am your host, Nick Manassas. For today's episode, we'll be discussing the best TV shows of the past decade. We have a special guest with us, Ben Goodman. You might know him as the Vice President of the Society of Broadcasting and Station Manager here at the Broadcasting Department. Say hello to the people, Ben. Hey, people. I'm honored to be here, Nick Manassas. I've been a big fan of your shows and your content, so this is going to be fun. Why, thank you, Ben. Now, let's get started. As you know, TV has really changed over the past decade. Don't you agree, Ben? I would definitely agree. I mean, uh, 10 years ago at this time in 2010, I mean, Netflix having TV shows, that was no one ever thought that'd be possible. Like streaming shows and streaming being a primary source for television, no one thought that'd be possible. Everything was just actual channels, but now it's just this mix of everything. I totally agree. And also a big change I noticed is that now TV shows nowadays and in the past decade have now relied on big budgets. Like now they feel more cinematic. Yeah. And also like movies, A-list movie stars are just acting in shows now. Like I think I remember the true detective, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. I think that kind of started a lot of these, like these A-list stars who used to be like people were quote like slumming. Like, or, like you're a TV star or you're a movie star, and you can't be both. But now, like, people can, like, swap between both, and there's no, like, stigma between being on TV and movies, because I know a lot of actors feel like the writing on TV is often better than a lot of what's featured in, like, major studio movies. So that's why they kind of flock to TV, at least from what I understand. Completely. And also, something else is that now, nowadays, before in the 2010s, the shows tended to be with so much episodes but now yeah. the shows are have now lower i think they are relying more on quality over quantity that's it's very true because i mean if you were committed to a tv show like that's like almost that's like almost like a full school year really like 22 episodes like you're just committed to that maybe you have like a summer break to do a movie but now if you only have like 10 episodes of something you can shoot that maybe two three months tops and then still have time to do so much other stuff in the year quite an analogy that you put there definitely and that's also something i do when i pick a new show my standard would be if it has a good story and also shorter episodes because come on what kind of person would just stay up just to watch 22 episodes oh i know <laughs> especially the it's like a serialized show like that tells like a story beginning middle and end because a lot of like a lot of like network shows so a lot of them are very good they're kind of like beginning like close ended like you watch an episode like law and order like a crime's committed and at the end of the hour you know it's been solved so which is great in its own thing but for more more, more adventurous and more more like a novelistic like a book storytelling i kind of prefer like the season long kind of serialized storytelling and regarding storytelling do you prefer the story that like there's a whole arc for the entire series or more like one episode and there's no continuity it's like a case of the week i mean I mean, like the case of the week, that's that's been that's one of the longest running things on t television, like that kind of storytelling. But I do kind of prefer like a, a serialized like kind of thing. Even like I know another thing that kind of came out this decade was like the anthology show, which I think with American Horror Story, oh, like yeah. a, like every season, they might have like some of the same character, I mean, same actors, but it's an entirely different story. But it's under the same name, like American Crime Story. All these, I guess American has to be in the title, like, but just like it's a story beginning, middle, and end. But it's not going. On for like three three seasons, like I guess it's called the anthology shows or Fargo, for example. Fargo is a great choice. Film in Calgary, really. At least oh, yeah. the, the first three. I know the most recent season, which is about to premiere in a couple months, they filmed in Chicago. But for the first three years, all all film in Calgary. And what do you think of the casting of Chris Rock for Fargo? I, I'm a big Chris Rock. I'm, I'm excited to see him do more, kind of more dramatic. I imagine because it's a crime element on that show, too. So he's probably a good, like, heavy kind of thing. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm a big fan of Fargo. And I think Chris Rock would be a good choice because Fargo, as we know, is a black comedy. Like yes. Like, dark topics like death as jokes. And I think Chris Rock excels at that, both comedy and darkness. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like the, like the funny comedy 
taught me it's so it's brutal but it's true like you know like not like lighthearted so I think he'll be perfect for that kind of stuff and of course the decade proved to be a war and a beginning for streaming services yes like I, with Netflix I mean I guess House of Cards is really what kind of was the big kind of first show for Netflix and then Orange is the New Black premiered a couple months laughter and just it was just again real unheard of I remember the initial announcement of it was like I know he he's certainly I'm not going to talk about what he's done in his personal life but like Kevin Spacey's doing a TV show with David Fincher the great David Fincher like for Netflix I remember the initial like trade announcement for that I was like what is this like this is crazy and then it kind of it just a bit now it's just the new normal like an orange is the black came after that and like the dozens of Netflix shows now which they they produce so much content which a thing like Whatever kind of niche you have or what kind of subsect, uh, like, interest you have, Netflix has produced at least an original show or movie about it, which, because I'm more, I slant more, like, weird comedy stuff, and they've done, like, What Hot American Summer. I know, like, they did the new season of Rest of Development. They resurrected that. All this kind of stuff that I would never believe would get resurrected, so... Netflix's big pockets kind of help make that happen. I know for like sci-fi fans, they've done some stuff, which I'm blanking on. They've done, they, don't, they really try to cover like everything. So if you just sign up for Netflix, you can have like a whole ecosystem. It's true. Like it expanded how we view TV nowadays. Yeah. And it's not just House of Cards or Orange is the New Black. Let's talk about also like Stranger Things. Oh, big one. I believe I, I believe I read like the most popular show. Certainly like viewers what? It's like nebulous because it's streaming and they don't really release that but certainly anecdotally like I don't know anyone who hasn't watched Stranger Things especially um, in our age group you're looking at one right oh now. really yeah. <laughs> I gotta check that, that show though out I, I hear that it contains a lot of nostalgia from the 80s yeah, it's like kind of the St Spielberg ET kind of stuff that or kind of like 80s yeah that kind of Goonies like I know the kind of the references there Gremlin and all that and of course, it's not just Netflix. The biggest game changer in the TV industry has to be, of course, HBO. Oh, home box office. I'm a big big favorite of mine. They've been around since the 70s when like, the original purpose of home box office, the title was to get uncut movies delivered to your home. Because for time, there's like the edited for TV movies where they take like curse words and maybe like to make sure like a two-hour movie fits like the time slot where they move scenes. So you have an unedited, uncut movie and they got like boxing fights, like just like a premium service that's why it's premium cable but then they started introducing like actual television shows in, like the early 90s like Larry Sanders show which is a big favorite of mine Eric, rest in peace Gary Shandling and just from The Sopranos which is awesome my, my all time favorite TV show The Sopranos that's not from this decade but and then it's just dominated ever since I think and how they changed their shows of course they blurred the line between TV and movie oh 100% yeah like it's just it's because again it's like the storytelling is as, is as rich and especially like as, as movies and that's what they kind of help make happen really with amazing writing and just the performances and just so you can really dig into a character over 10 episodes like James Gandolfini with Tony Soprano like oh, yeah. you watched him go through like those six years of the six seasons of the show and just it packs such a punch and just it's it's the greatest for lack of a better word but yeah and of course Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Three words. Game of Thrones. Yeah, the... I would... Certainly a lot of people are probably the biggest show of the decade. Certainly, and it became... Because Sopranos ended like 2008, I want to say. And then the, there was like a couple years like HBO was trying to like... They, ha they put out great, great shows, some of which I might talk about, but it wasn't until Game of Thrones premiered that, like, they had, like, a new kind of centerpiece show that, like, for, like, at least people are going to, like, tune in for that, and they hopefully they subscribe to HBO and they stick around to watch some of the other shows they produce, but Game of Thrones certainly dominated the conversation this past decade. It definitely did. It's like uh, the Star Wars of TV oh, shows. Oh, great point, yeah. Great point. <laughs> great analogy, for sure. Like a huge fan base. It mm -hmm. broke multiple records. Numerous awards, of course, the yes. Emmys. And it's crazy to think about because I remember when that was first talked about, like, it's a fantasy show. There's, like, dragons and stuff. And just to think that, like, your mom like, could watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, it's just, like, you wouldn't have ex expected that going in. But just that shows you how good, like, the storytelling was and just how high quality it was that it transcended beyond just fantasy fans and sci-fi fans that really 
a mass audience was really into the show. And what makes it great as well to me is the it's not just the the big budget, the characters, or the effects, but the fact that it subverted the fantasy genre. You know, mm -hmm. like you know, like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, where yeah. it was clear who the good guys and the bad mm -hmm. guys were. The good guys didn't die, but with yeah. Game of Thrones, it changed that forever. Yeah, and I remember like the pitches for Game of Thrones at least talked about was they wanted to make their reference points were like shows like The Sopranos in making it like the anti-hero like in terms of like Tony Soprano not to keep up with The Sopranos is the lead character of the show but he's a mob boss and in episode three or four of the show he ends up this is early on whatever he ends up like strangling someone as he takes his daughter Meadow on, like on a college trip of like touring colleges at the end of the episode he kills someone and he's like the lead character of the show and just that was unbelievable at the time like you're supposed to simply sympathize the lead character so it blurred the lines there and certainly on Game of Thrones with the amount of characters the blurring of the lines of who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, and just all this stuff was, yeah. And that is actually the intent of the author, George R. R. Martin, because yeah. he didn't want there to be any heroes or villain villains in the story. It's up to us to decide mm -hmm. if, based on our point of view. Like, no more black and white. That's how the world yeah. is. Shades of gray. Shades of gray, absolutely. And uh, all the anti-hero shows, like, certainly, it ended last past deck. I know it started last deck with Breaking Bad, certainly. Walter White. I know Vince Gilligan's big pitch for that show is you're watching Mr. Chips turn to Scarface. And just like it just he's a the, the chemistry teacher, mild manner, and just you watch him go through the thing. He comes this big drug kingpin and just and um and just like his big line always goes, I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my family. All this stuff, that's how he justifies his kind of his behavior. But as his kind of behavior got worse and worse, I'm not going to spoil anything, but that was kind of what, yeah. It was such a great show, by the way. It was like watching a live-action version of Macbeth, but without yes. all the dialogue from Shakespeare. You yeah, you can, yeah, it's just, yeah, normal, commonplace dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And back to Game of Thrones. By the way, I'm, I'm well aware it didn't quite stick the landing, mm -hmm. but still, despite that, good ending or bad ending, I think it did not diminish the impact Game of Thrones has left on our TV forever. Oh, entirely. Like, it's, it saved HBO. It just, and it made fantasy shows become, you know, the networks could, could take a chance on them, that there's an audience for that. I mean, you certainly have seen some Game of Thrones pretenders come out. I'm blanking on them, but that's probably why. They, other networks are trying to make shows like that, but they just aren't that. They, they just try to get one element of what made it work, and it just, it kind of falters. But just, it had all of the elements there to really just make this wide, wide audience big, big hit that, you know, people would talk about like, like again I agree with you about the finale but I think in the long run just what it's done for television especially in the past decade and again like a feature like the budget for that show like those big battles like oh, yeah. like just for like one episode like that's like the budget of like a movie that they did for some of those battles it was just unbelievable the action sequences that's so true like and also <clears throat> about Ga Game of Thrones like uh, back to the ending like look at like Lost for example yeah. Boardwalk Empire uh, there are a lot of shows out there that didn't end well, but yet they still managed to be one of the best shows of all time. Mm, I'm a big Boro Empire fan. I love that show. And of course, Game of Thrones, even though it ended, it had a worthy successor in Chernobyl. Oh, yes. That was a... The, oh, man. That was a great... Talk about coming out of nowhere. Like, you would have thought about, like, you know, you're thinking, oh, this is just... Because you know that from history class, you know about the Chernobyl, like, the explosion and all that, but then they made it so captivating and just... Like, the very clinical way that they went through it, but also, like, they humanized it in a way that I didn't really experience, which you can't really get from history books. And just, it really, it packed a huge wall up, a huge punch, Chernobyl, and it was, it was a great show, for sure. It sure did. It's my favorite show of 2019. Mm -hmm. And what I really loved about it is that this show is scary, and it's not even a horror show, and it manages to be very scary. Because it's real, which is, that's, that's what makes it scary, you know? Like, that all happened and it just it's just yeah it's unbelievable it sure was yeah hbo just keeps knocking it out of the park every single year mm, i i am with you for sure with you for sure 
And also, another show I'd like to talk about in HBO, my second favorite show, aside from Game of Thrones, Westworld. Oh, Westworld. I love that show. And just, I was a big fan, because Jonathan Nolan created with uh, his, his wife, Lisa Joy, no- Joy, no- Joy, no- Joy Nolan, excuse me. I was a big fan of Jonathan Nolan's previous show, uh, Person of Interest on CBS, which it, it started out as one of those procedurals, like Case of the Week shows. But like, it got like really, it was all about artificial intelligence and just like the surveillance culture. And a lot of those themes, I know he brought like some a lot of that same team from Person of Interest to Westworld, just expanding it to this cable length and just budget and stuff. And um, incredibly impressive show. I, I know the new season's starting up in a couple couple months, and that's going to be very exciting. But yeah, I'm, I, just what a crazy achievement. And, and then that the source material was only one 80-minute movie, the Michael uh, Crichton movie that he right. that he wrote and directed in the 70s. Uh-huh. That just, like, it's not like with Game of Thrones, you had, like, a whole book series, which, an unfinished book series, but still. Mm-hmm. But, but Westworld, you just had, like, this 80-minute movie as a jumping-off point for the concept, and then he just brought it to brought it to the 2010s and now 2020s, and just really brought all these new wrinkles to it for sure. It's like Jurassic Park, yes, but with cyborgs. That's exactly right, and definitely not for children. Certainly not. A lot of HBO shows, almost all HBO shows, not for children. I heard that season three it's going to be much shorter, and it's going to have a more basic and simple plot because mm-hmm. there were a lot of complaints for the second season yeah. for being too convoluted. What did you think of season two? I think it was, um, well, as I said, convoluted. Like, it was yeah. too complex. It spends like, too much time trying to outsmart the audience rather than yeah. trying to tell the story it's trying to tell. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, but I, I still I still appreciate a lot. The, only, the other thing with some of these shows, like, I do appreciate they take their time with it because it's been, it's been, like, two years since season two. It's yeah. been a while. But it's like, they take so much time. It's like, I need to rewatch season two now because it's season three is about to start. And it's like, I almost forgot what happened. Like, I, I need to remember, I need a refresher course on rewatching that for sure. And that's it. Like, Westworld, like you said, Westworld is a show that you need to watch it more than once. Oh, absolutely. I, I would agree for sure. Yeah. And aside from HBO and Netflix, then there's the new streaming service that I still need to get, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. I am you like just like you're the one who hasn't seen Stranger Things. I'm probably I think I'm the one person who has Disney Plus yet. But I, I mean, I plan. To, I mean, just certainly. I know the Mandalorian. Certainly. Oh yeah. This is the big talk. Have you seen it? I've, I'm again. I wish. I definitely need to see it. Yeah, people. People are going nuts for it, and this. It sounds great, and just. Um, again, I haven't seen the recent uh, Star Wars movie. I saw. I thought was the Force Awakens was the first new trilogy, right? That's I right. believe. So, I've, I haven't seen Last Jedi or uh, Rise of Skywalker yet, but I know like Rise of Skywalker certainly. Kind of uh, differing opinions on that, and and I think yeah. that came out the same time when like Mandalorian was airing. And I know a lot of Star Wars fans were like, "Oh, this is how I like Star Wars." What well, how, how we do? I mean, I haven't seen either, so I'm kind of mm-hmm. out to lunch. But yeah, the Mandalorian is said to be like a, the true successor to Star Wars, the original, mm-hmm. from what I hear of fans as well. Yeah, and then there's the upcoming Marvel shows. Yeah, and I think that's very impressive because, of course, Marvel's been making shows. They had, like for the Netflix, they had Daredevil and Jessica Jones, which I thought was the best of the Netflix ones. Jessica Jones, um, but that they um, for the first time that Kevin Feige from Marvel is overseeing these Disney Plus Marvel shows and they're making it a connective tissue between the MCU movies and really making the MCU part of the television world too for the first time. I think that's gonna be really interesting to see. How that goes, and certainly with Disney's big pockets, they're trying. They're going to try and make it look identical to the movies, which seems True. crazy to think about. Because you see, like Endgame in some of these movies, the the spectacle of these movies, and just it'll be very interesting how they pull up. I'm excited for these these Marvel movies and Marvel TV shows. TV shows. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I'm, sorry, it's okay. Malfunction. I'm still used to saying Marvel movies. I'm just yeah. And about the Netflix shows, I 
what I really love is two things actually. One would be, of course, the tone. You notice it's very different from what you see in the movies, like more yes. gritty, yes. dark, violent. Oh. Right off the bat, I was actually shocked when I was going to stream Daredevil on Netflix and I yeah. saw the rating 18 plus. I figured, but this is this is Disney, Disney yeah. Marvel. <laughs> like, what happened? Oh, I know, and like, uh, yeah, all those ones just they took a very adult tone and just. Um, do you do you, kind of a side point with superhero movies? Do you prefer kind of the more light or dark kind of style of them, or just it does depend on the superhero? It depends on the superhero. Like Daredevil, it makes sense to make it 18 plus because Daredevil is one of the darkest most morally complex Marvel characters yeah that's a good point yeah and I know like not to I'm one tangent in the movies it's like I'm a big Ant-Man fan that's one of the lightest Marvel movies there is and it's just I kind of like that tone but not every movie should be or can be like Ant-Man like just that tone works for that character but just like certainly if, if Batman had uh, mm -hmm. you know I mean it's like a Batman movie which is fun yeah, delightful but, but just yeah you know what I mean? Yes. But still, yeah, just because something is dark doesn't always mean it has to be good. Yeah. It's, hello, DC. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and about the Netflix Marvel shows, what I like is that even though it's connected to the MCU, it's trying to be its own thing without yeah. too much Easter eggs or trying to connect it to the more wider universe. I do like that. But sadly, I mean, that is, I think that's when a thing of the past now with the Disney Plus shows because they're, they're really going to try and make them ident like from the exact same universe now because sadly all those Netflix shows were canceled the Marvel ones which is which uh, a lot of fan outcry for good reason that they just got they said clean slate and just now all the Marvel shows are basically going to exist on um, Disney Plus and that's why like I think the first one is um like Falcon with the Anthony Mackie and um, uh, uh, Falcon Sebastian Scan and Winter Soldier yeah it's in Winter Soldier that's right I'm, I'm doing actor names <laughs> but, but I know like yeah because it's just they're going to keep the same tone as Captain America and stuff but it's kind of a, yeah it's kind of a bummer that there's not going to be much more separation that's just all going to be on, under the same umbrella but I, at the same time it's kind of interesting to see how they pull it off it sure is also there's WandaVision yeah Loki which is the one I'm really looking forward to mm -hmm. yeah and I'm excited I, I know like I think I just read it was, it was put on hold but I'm a big fan of the Hawkeye comic books that uh, Matt Fraction wrote which were way more lighthearted than uh, how Jeremy Renner and like his character was portrayed in the movies so I think if uh, there's a Hawkeye um Hawkeye version and also there's a Kate Bishop character of this uh, teenage girl he kind of adopts and she kind of comes hot girl and um, I think that's what they're going to try I, mean, I believe Haley Steinfeld is rumored to be uh, cast in that with Renner but I, 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 once they ever get that back on the ground I'm, I'm excited I hope to, like one that just kind of nails the tone of the comics uh, for a Hawkeye show and it's with the same actor I'm yes right. Jeremy Renner yes ah, that's good, good a show I've been recently watching in Netflix I believe you heard or seen The Crown oh yeah I love The Crown I haven't finished the new season yet but I love The Crown. It's perfect. Like, it really, at first, you'd think a show about the royal family would be, you know, boring, nothing mm -hmm. new. But what it really made it different is that it, it humanized the royal family. A hundred percent. They're not just people on your money. They're like, just like people like you've seen your whole life. They're just like these far off figures. Like, they, they don't even seem real. But like, they, again, humanize these, these people. Again, the queen's been around, around for my entire life and I'm older than you so I'm so, 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 like they've been around my, my entire life and just to see her younger and just I, I love the idea of casting a new queen or a new actor to play the queen um, every two seasons I think that's really really cool that's right and they and they re and you as you can see they really had their casting perfectly because yes. they look exactly or almost exactly like the real people yes I, oh, 100% from the hairstyle the costumes and the costumes mm -hmm. Accurate as well, and like and it's, it's it's also tough because these are such well known like figures are portraying. Like I know John Lithgow is very good as Winston Churchill. He did a great job. Like he's like just amazing. Like people we've seen our entire lives, and just they just really embody these characters or these real people. In fact, people we can actually relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And just like again to bring to the history book thing, you've read about this stuff in history, and just it's one thing, but to actually really learn. I know there's. It might take some liberties and stuff for dramatic purposes, which 
of course, but just to learn a bit more, like you feel like you know about more about history, history by watching this and understand these these real people more by watching these shows. Another show that I I've recently watched would be Killing Eve, for instance. Oh yes, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge created. Who? Uh, Phoebe from uh, Fleabag. Uh, she's the star and creator of Fleabag. Uh, been winning, I think, won the Emmy for Best Comedy Series last year. I think I have heard her. Yeah. Uh, but it's on Amazon Prime, not to do. I, it was a UK <laughs> show, but I believe it's on Amazon Prime, two seasons. Uh, a dear Fred Geo in the program, Seymour uh, Yodatsia's Scene Queen. Big fan. She w- says she's rewatched uh, Fleabag three times this month. This is a net, but granted, it's only two seasons, like six episodes apiece, but just, it's a wonderful show. But Killing Eve, tell me about it. I haven't watched it. Killing Eve is a story about this uh, an MI6 agent played by Sandra Oh. Yes. Who? The great Sandra Oh, Canadian. Really? Yeah. She, I thought she was like <laughs> Korean. I, 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 I think she, she's from Ontario or something. Really? So I need to look that up. <laughs> so anyway, the <clears throat> Eve is an MI6 agent who is tasked to find this assassin, a female assassin, naming herself Villanelle. Uh-huh. And during the hunt, both women start to have some kind of connection towards one another. Okay. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Like it becomes from it borders from obsession to just a complete romance. Ah, that's really. I, I've heard nothing but good things about Killing Eve. Oh, you should watch it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's been two seasons so far, correct? Correct. Yes, and a third one coming out this May. That's very. I believe, and it's a BBC America show, I think, or something like that. The very same. Yes. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Really, real cool. And uh, what would you say is the best show you've watched for the past decade? Um, well, here's my big pick. It's fun. I, I don't want this. It's not cheating, but it technically premiered 2009, but the majority of its run happened in the 2010. So I, I'll allow it. My own, my, my own rules. Sure. Um, H, uh, it's an HBO show. It's called Eastbound and Down. It was created and stars Danny McBride. Um, it's like on the surface, a lot of people think it's just like a, just a raunchy comedy, but because talking about the anti-hero because basically his character is um, he's a major uh, major league pitcher Kenny Powers and um, for various things he has a huge fall from grace taking steroids all this stuff said some controversial stuff in the press so he goes back to his hometown in North, South Carolina to become a substitute PE teacher and back to his own high school look his uh, high school crush works at a uh, as a teacher there and he moves back and with his family and stuff and just it's like the thing with that show is like he is not a good person Kenny Powers but just you're watching but it's like it's hard to it's 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 a character study but it's like it's very very funny and just there's I think there's four seasons in total and I think an underrated thing and this is a thing I like to say is that it was written and uh, directed by Danny McBride and Joni, Jody Hill. Also, Danny McBride and Javier Gordon Green as well, who they helped uh, Halloween. make Halloween happen. Ah, Halloween, great. I love the Halloween. And um, I think, like, before Eastbound and Down, because I think with True Detective, there was the thing of, like, same director, same writer, kind of the more filmic approach of, like, it's one long movie. But I think Eastbound and Down kind of, like, helped popularize that, because these are feature film directors, Jody Hill. Uh, Danny, Danny, David Gore Green and also Adam McKay was executive producer who did um, The Big Short of course and Anchorman and so I'm sort of spinning out here but I think that plays as like a inspired by British television as one long movie each season because then he uh, second season you'll find out he, he goes to Mexico his adventures in Mexico and just it, just, it, it, it takes all these different turns and stuff and I'm not probably doing a good job of selling this but it's very very funny it's, it's dramatic when you not, don't expect it's beautifully shot, which you wouldn't expect for a comedy. Just pristine, and just I'm 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 just a very very good character study. And Danny McBride, that's his signature role. I loved it. Really, Danny McBride. Like, I believe I saw him in the new Alien movie. Yes, he's in it very briefly, and um, this is the end as well from the past decade. He was in that the Seth Rogen movie. Um, and yeah, he had a hand in writing uh, the new Halloween movie with David Gordon Green, and then directed. And I believe also the upcoming coming Halloween movies, the coming trilogy. He's ah. written, written, writing those as well. Ah, that's perfect. With his production company, Rough House Productions, which is also the same that does uh, this show and also Vice Principals, this follow-up series, and um, The Righteous Gemstones as well. 
they've all through HBO. He's done three series with the same creative crew, him, Jody Hill, and David Gore Green. And they're all very, like, these, like, ones, Righteous Gemstones, which premiered last year, and picked up for season two, is about uh, Televangelist's family in the South. And Vice Principals is about, like, kind of the competition between these two guys, Danny McBride and Walton Goggins, the great Walton Goggins, who's on the Unicorn now, which is kind of a funny little thing there. And Justify, one of my favorite shows of the decade, too, FX. He was on Justified. I'm sorry, I'm just spitting out shows. (laughs) So Danny McBride, actor, comedian, and writer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, and it's the thing, like, he's become an actor, but in interviews he said, he went to North Carolina Film School, and he always wanted to be a director first. Like, he's a filmmaker first, and just he kind of stumbled into this because he became friendly with David Gore Green and just... He cast him in his movie All the Real Girls, which had started in early Zoe de Chanel in like 2002. But um, yeah, and then he sort of got lumped into doing all these fun comedies, and now he's finally getting a chance to write and direct more because he's also directing stuff for Righteous Gemstones. So anyway, I'll stop going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, you sure seem to know a lot about film, eh? I, I, I try to anyway. Oh, I try okay. to. I'm, I'm, I'm a dork who loves like the movie commentaries. Oh, when a DVD comes, I love DVD commentaries and looking at all that stuff. So I love that. You're not the only one who makes <laughs> film commentary. Oh, I, I love that. And uh, let's talk more about True Detective. Yes. The, yes. The anthology series. Have you seen? <clears throat> have you seen them? Or uh, which seasons have you seen? One season two actually. Just oh, uh, season two. What was your take on season two? It was well. There were more. There was more good than negative. Let's say I, the acting was great. Mm-hmm. It was perfectly shot. Rachel McAdams was great in that. Oh yeah, and but of course, and Colin Farrell. Oh, and, tr- tr- and tremendous. But I felt like it was too convoluted. Too complex. You know, it's funny. I was waiting for you to say it because that was because you mentioned that word earlier, and that's the first word that comes to mind with season two. Is because um, season one was beloved, like the Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson season. Like just people love that one, and it's very good. So I recommend it. But um, but with uh, with yeah, season two, I think there's a lot to love about, it, and it's become kind of a cult hit since then. Like, kind of like a cult, like because it got a lot of bad critical reviews at the time. Yeah. But there's like a like a critical re- reevaluation of it. Like this, there's a lot to love here, but at the same time, it w- it is one of those shows. Like they just throw you into this world. Like the Vince Vaughn stuff, it's kind of hard to understand a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And like the way they talk, it's like it's very writerly. Like no one talks like that in real life. But it's no. beautifully shot. But it's, it's also about yeah. The thing is, season three, I've heard it is really good. Yes, but many c- claim it's a tough act to follow after season one with the chemistry between. It is very. Sim- uh, is very much of a piece with the season one with uh, I believe Marshall Ali is in it and also Stephen Dorff they're the lead actors in um, uh, season three it's very good very good but I would recommend season one first though I, I wouldn't have to take a look at that yeah season two of True Detective I, f- I found more good than bad but sometimes it can be so frustrating to watch and the pacing like it tends to move a bit slow oh. to get from here like molasses yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah, it, that's a, it's a very good point for sure we were actually you were talking a bit before air you're mentioning big little lies on hbo <laughs> what, what's your you you said you love that show i did me and my i watched it with my mom my, oh that's awesome my mom is a she's a big fan of nicole kidman oh she's great and so am i yeah she's very good <laughs> yes she is and just talk about like in terms of like something that wouldn't have happened uh, a decade ago the fact that Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, or just, and um, I'm blanking. Who was like, I mean, Meryl Streep was on season two, but there's right. like, and Zoe Kravitz was on that show. I feel like I'm blanking on the third name. Uh, Laura Dern. Laura, oh, I love Laura Dern. How could I ever <laughs> blank on Laura Dern? But like, uh, just like big time movie actors and just they're on this show and just, yeah, very impressive. And of course, this was a big win for Shailene Woodley. Yes, because she's she gets a lot of flack from her, you know, from her movies like Divergent mm-hmm. or The Fault in Our Stars. But yes, this one, very good. The Descendants, though, the George Clooney movie. Hmm? The Descendants. Ah, Descendants with George Clooney. Like very good. With the one in the beach. I yes, think it was. It's very good. Yeah, but Big Little Lies. 
Have you seen it, by the way? I've seen the first season, which I which I really enjoyed. Second season is just as good. Just as good. And like I was saying, Meryl Streep, I believe, her first like acting on TV, or at least since like when she was just a starting out actor. It's true. Incredible. Yes. And this show, it's it has everything. It's like the pacing is good. It's beautifully mm-hmm. shot, especially since it's an HBO show. Mm-hmm. Good acting, and it's really really funny, like in a dark way. Yeah. And it's just it's a very unique show too, like the way they cut it together like it's just like how the memory goes because I mean there's like this like it's like it goes all over the place with the plotting of it like you, you see like the bits of the crime scene or kind of thing and you jump out to here and just and it's just like the use of music on that show is very very good and just yeah it's a, just it's a really like unique singular kind of show it sure is and also won many Emmys as well yes absolutely Meryl Streep oh, if you haven't watched season 2 get ready because Meryl Streep she, this is probably in my opinion her best performance yet since the Iron Lady. Oh, wow. When she played Margaret Thatcher. That's incredible. And she won the Oscar for that. So that's saying something. That's right. Yeah. And you were before talking about Breaking Bad. How about its successor, or in this case, predecessor, Better Call Saul? I'm a big Better Call Saul fan. And that's the thing. And here's like, I love Breaking Bad. And uh, I love Be- the thing with Better Call Saul. And this sounds crazy because there's a lot of, obviously, it's the prequel series, and there's a lot of tie-ins to, and as the seasons have gone on. Have you seen Better Call Saul, by the way, before I say anything? Season one, only. Oh, season one. Because, so a lot of characters come back, and a lot of the crime world from that show comes back. But the funny thing is, like, I love Better Call Saul, but the thing I love the most about that show is the, the Saul Goodman stuff, like him as a lawyer. Like, it's just... Like it kind of gets more action in later years, like from like the yes. Mike stuff, like the and like uh, I will say Gus is back. Yeah, on the sh- Gus I've co- seen in, like, in the promos and stuff. That stuff isn't as interesting to me because I think like that's been done. But I think like the relationship between Saul and the Michael McKean character, his brother Chuck. It's like heartbreaking. Like it's really, really well done, and just it's it is a slow pace. But I think I love a good family drama, and I think and also just it is the reverse Breaking Bad because he uh, he starts out. Well, I guess he kind of start, and I mean it's kind of similar. Just he because he's I guess he's slipping Jimmy like he kind of like this, uh, yeah, and just yeah. And another thing about Better Call Saul, what I really appreciate would be the shift in tone. Because Breaking Bad, as you know, is like more a dark, gritty crime yeah. drama. This one is more comedic in tone. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Because like great Bob Odenkirk, which is crazy to think. Because again, not to do my, an age thing here, I've been a fan of Bob Odenkirk since he had an. HBO time back back to HBO a sketch show in the mid 90s called Mr. Show that he created with David Cross from Rest Development and the Alvin and Chipmunks movies <laughs> but uh, he the, the, it's for comedy nerds like me like Mr. Show is like one of the most influential sketch comedy shows of all time like with the kids in the hall and all this stuff but just he started out this big comedy guy like he wrote for SNL in the early 90s like he was a comedy nerd like uh, god and so the fact that he's kind of in with the start of Breaking Bad and going into this and he was just I just saw Little Women and he's in Little Women a great dramatic actor now and just he's become it's so like crazy for me to see but so encouraging at the same time because he's so talented he sure is and I think and since he's good at being funny I believe that he was the perfect choice to be Saul oh entirely because it's like he was a good bit of levity too on Breaking Bad when things got really right. intense the comic and relief. stuff and um, but when the intense stuff happened like he could really play it off well I remember his introduction I believe I believe his episode was actually called Better Call Saul when it he was, was debuted yes. like I believe like he got, remember there's like a scene in the desert where he's like you know he thinks his days are numbered and he just like really nails the tone of that and just on top of the episode. And Better Call Saul, the reason why I was not so on board with watching this show is that I, in general, tend to not be a big fan of prequels because you know sure. the, the foregone conclusion we all know how yeah. it will all turn out I totally understand that I totally get that I do think like the characters like it's 
I think it's one of the rare prequels that works, and I think like the characters they introduce, um, uh, Kim Wexler as well. The life from Rhea Seahorn plays Kim Wexler, and she's superb. Like just like you really, as the show goes on, and just you really get to know and love these characters, and just it is like the biggest compliment I can say, and I really mean this. I want. For, I, I'm just I'm more interested in seeing what ha- was happening to Kim Wexler and like Chuck at the time and what I mean it's all then all this stuff of bringing back Gus and Mike but that stuff's not as interesting to me as these new characters they introduced from th- out of thin cloth so I think it, I think it's very good and since I haven't watched the other seasons of Better Call Saul in general does it feel like a new thing or a rehash oh, of Breaking Bad oh very new very new because I mean it's not as crime heavy like I mean there's besides like the Mike's and Gus stuff like it's just like it's about like like documents and stuff <laughs> lawyer doc it's oh like it's my. like it's like it's slow and just like because Chuck his brother played by Michael McKeon for Spinal Tap and everything <laughs> superb like a lot of it in those early seasons is about the brotherly thing because he's a head of the law firm that he works at and he's and Saul's just like kind of like the the put upon brother like yeah. he's super successful Chuck and just like and he's like doesn't and just so it's like a very relatable kind of yeah, thing like, like that. he doesn't trust he doesn't trust his brother yeah like he's kind of like the screw up brother for lack of a better word and just and just so watching that kind of happen and just how that relationship happens and there's a an amazing court scene that happens later in the series which I'm not going to spoil but involving that like and it's just very very good Vince Gilligan with Breaking Bad but especially Bear Call Saul of just you see little details throughout and you think like okay like you just kind of brushes by you but they will never forget that. It'll come back like two years from now, this little detail about the relationship when the time comes and just like, they're so detail specific and detail oriented and just... Like, they really do live and breathe those characters. And I, 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 I'm a big fan of the show, for sure. It sure is. And, uh, of course, it's not just Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad. Let's talk about El Camino. El Camino. Yeah, very interesting. Surprising that it happened. And just, but the thing is, Jesse, yeah, he drove off at the end of the, end of the show. And you think, what happened to Jesse? And so, um, I thought it was, I thought it was very good. Um, it, what I, I don't say it was. It was very good as well. I, I don't think it was great, uh-huh. but I just. I mean, Aaron Paul's tremendous. He was very good. And it was cool to see those kind of those characters again. But um, what did you think? I'm just. I think that this film it needed to be made because for the fans of Breaking Bad because I felt it gave Jesse Pinkman a good closure to his yeah. character because as much as the finale of Breaking Bad was excellent I felt that the ending of Jesse's story was too abrupt right and it's true like it is like for it would have been it is nice to see a story and like I know some people are all about in like a kind of ambiguous endings and like think of your own conclusion but it, at the same time it's nice to see like a proper like send off for for Jesse for sure and just I think they did in a pretty good way and again beautifully I'm gonna keep saying beautifully shot it was yes yeah, beautifully shot for sure it felt really high budget. Like a very wide scope. Too. I forget the camera they used, but it's like an old Western camera they used for old Westerns. Like just very wide, the, the scope of that movie, how they That's shot right. it. And even more impressive was the fact that this film was kept secret from all the fans. Oh, incredible. Like the fact that, you know, that they got some Breaking Bad people in there, which I'm not going to reveal for people who haven't seen it, but just that they kept it under wraps is unbelievable. It sure did. I think also it may not be a TV show, but it's per se, but it's technically part of a TV show. So I think we can count it. Oh, I, say. I, I think we're good. Yeah, it's, a good, it's worth bringing up because we probably Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. That whole really universe dominated like the last decade for sure. Sure did. Yeah. Yes. And of course, we talk about Netflix, HBO, Disney Plus, and how about Amazon Prime? Amazon Prime. Uh, I, my mom was a big fan of the show Bosch on that on that, which is the old detective show. I mean, it's based on the detective books by Michael Connelly, starring uh, Titus Welliver. Um, apparently, it's excellent, like L.A. hard 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 cop detective stuff, and just I believe that is their biggest hit on Amazon Prime, which it was a natural fit because it's one of their oldest shows, but just the fact that Amazon, which started out as just selling books, 
that their biggest thing would be a book series turned TV show. Like it seems like a natural thing. Like imagine like you go to the Amazon Prime page for Bosch. Imagine like, hey, if you like this, why don't you buy the Bosch series <laughs> well, for Amazon Prime? You already have Amazon Prime. We'll ship it to free for your house. Good point. Very, very good point. My mom is also a big fan of Bosch as yeah. well. And I think the fl- the flagship series for Prime would have to be uh, Jack Ryan. That's right, with uh, John Krasinski, which who would have ever thought? I believe The Office ended at the start of this decade, I believe. I want to say maybe. So just in that, though he has certainly a big year. I mean, movie side, Quiet Place, whoever thought he would do, like, write and direct a movie. Uh, yeah. but, but on the TV side, him as an action star, almost equally as unbelievable. But then he's pulled it off, and it's certainly a, a huge, like, huge thing. I've not watched it. Have you watched it? I did. And I think you will love it if yep. you're if you're into spy shows or stories. Yeah. Speaking of spy shows and stories, I think perhaps the biggest spy show of this decade would have to be Homeland. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I believe it's having its final seasons premiering next month. I believe starting next month. In two weeks. Yes. Two weeks. That's my mom's favorite show, by the way. Oh yeah, Claire Danes, tremendous on that yes. show. Mandy Patinkin, the great Mandy Patinkin. Yes. And what I really loved about Homeland is the fact that it's a spy show and it tries so hard and succeeds at not trying to retread all the spy cliches. Yeah. And just, um, I watched like the first three or four seasons and because, I mean, the creative team came from the show 24, Jack Bauer, which is just high action intensity, great for what it is, but just, I think what's really cool about Homeland is it's just... Certainly gets intense too, but it's all about the psychological. It's about the characters. Like you watch Claire Danes, you know, her character, Carrie Matheson, I believe is the name of the character. Yeah. And just, you watch like her go through stuff. And just, it's as much like they, they slow it down from all that stuff, which you typically do not see on that. They certainly have never, didn't slow it down with 24. Like it's just, it was just like, no. go, 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 which worked for the show, which made it exciting. But that the same team would then do something different for Kay, which I thought, I thought was really cool. And just, there's certainly some amazing moments on that show. Definitely. And the, the shocking moments in Homeland, they actually feel like very, as if it could really happen without yes. being too over the top or not trying to cheat to make sure the heroes win yeah 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 there's like no like it's really unique yeah it feels real yeah unique i think unique is like the the word of the day for all tv shows oh totally and that that was a huge let's say was it is still a huge i think it was showtime's big signature show for a bit because it was after dexter ended which i think also that might have ended just at the start of this decade as well that was dexter was like their number one show ratings wise and popularity wise it went for like seven eight seasons and homeland kind of because if not as certainly as big as what what was big as game of thrones but certainly like equivalent to like a big their centerpiece show homeland for showtime in the last decade for sure so i believe that this whole decade has been a great one for television you know with with new new ideas more bigger cinematography Mm -hmm. and really set the standard for all TV shows to follow. Oh, totally. And to cap it off, one more show I want to talk about. Please. Have you ever heard or seen Sherlock? Yes, with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch yes. and uh, Martin Freeman. Uh-huh, yeah. I th- this has to be, in my opinion, the best retelling of Sherlock. It really answered the question. I would agree. What would happen if Sherlock existed here in our in our time, mm-hmm. in the modern era? And that's that's how Benedict, Benedict came a star, really, because I I hadn't heard of him before then, and just he was so so good on Sherlock, and I, Doctor Strange came out of that, and all this stuff. Yeah, just really, really well done, and like I love very unique structure too, because it's like they only put out like two, three episodes at a time, oh, yeah. and they're like ninety minutes, like they're like own little movies, sure. and just it's yeah, incredibly well done, and just the modern way it's put in like the Sherlock Holmes is put in the world. I, I love it; it's very good. I think the best part, the heart of the show, has to be the chemistry between Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Yes, as Sherlock and Watson. Mm-hmm. I would agree. It's 
re- just a really well done show. It's really comedic, really smart as mm-hmm. well. It's also one of my mom's favorite because my mom, she read Sherlock Holmes when she was young. Oh, yeah. And she also, she will watch any show if it has England. Because <laughs> she's been there to England. So, yeah. So, I'm sure she's a big Crown fan. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I wonder if Sherlock, however, will ever come back. That's always the thing because it's similar to like these like years-long gaps between shows and stuff. And certainly Benedict, like we we're saying, he's become this major movie star in the time since. I think he's going to be shooting Doctor Strange 2 soon. Huh. So just if, when they have time for it. And certainly Martin Freeman, he did the Hobbit movie his last decade right. and just tons of stuff. So I hope they – I know both of them love the show and they're passionate for it. It's just – it's one of those classic things when people get too big that just we need to just find the time. We need to get the deal sorted out to – I know with Big Little Lies too, like when they've talked about like that, they love working together. They just need the right story. They need to block out the amount of time. So, but they would, but if given the chance, they'd love to keep doing it. But just, you know, the timing of it and all that. But still, the future of TV has just begun. I would agree. And to conclude this episode, I'd like to just say my uh, top three favorite TV shows of the decade. I would love to hear them. Which number three would have to be The Crown. Great. Second, Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And number one for me, Chernobyl. Oh, wow. Yep. It, 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 I mean, it, perfect. Like, just a, but the perfect, you know. Yes. Like, you know, but just, it told its story. And did, as we discussed before, a, a great pick for sure. For many years, I never thought a show would ever dethrone Game of Thrones, which was my favorite show. But now, I was wrong. Yeah, and just lucky for you because it was like because Game of Thrones ended, I believe, like Chernobyl started like the following month, I believe. Like it was not that far after Game of Thrones ended that Chernobyl started. I mean, gosh, it's a limited series, but just mm-hmm. the, what a what a time. And I think it should be fine just as that, a limited series. Oh, I would agree. Because it told its story, as you said. I don't know what there is more to tell, because it's, it's perfect for what it is. It sure is. And now your turn. What would you say are your top three? Um, I loved Eastbound and Down. Um, on HBO, I also was a big fan of the uh, show that ran for two seasons called Enlightened, starring Laura Dern. <laughs> um... I have no. It's just. I, it's a wonderful. It's a half-hour comedy, but dramatic points and just. She's amazing in it. And but for Showtime, one more. My other big pick, and a show that really I cannot believe existed and just I can't believe it happened in the decade but certainly ambition wise incredible was Twin Peaks The Return which oh happened on Showtime because it was on 1990 it was on an ABC it was the number one show on television who killed Laura Palmer who killed Laura Palmer and then it took like I'm um, like at least well over 20 years for to for the return to happen. It was 18 episodes. Certainly nothing like it in uh, the 2010s. Whether you like it or not, I know like some people like think like it's crazy because David Lynch wrote and directed everything that was there. David Lynch, I heard of him. What did what else did he make? Um, he's primarily a movie director. He did the Mulholland Drive and um, uh, Blue Velvet, um, uh, Racerhead, and um, uh, Lost. Highway and um, yeah, he's primarily like these kind of like very weak, very black comedy. There's some horror elements in it, but Twin Peaks was kind of a, in the in the mainstream. The television show was his most well known, and just gone incredibly dark at points. And um, uh, there's episode seven of Twin Peaks: The Return, which essentially sounds crazy. Like there's no main characters in it that we see, but it's about the birth of the atomic bomb. Ooh. It's about just in that one episode and just how it, and then it touches on it. It's shot in black and white. A lot of it's with uh, classical music. It's just, it's like art. It's like, I can't even describe it. And just, I, I loved it. I, and just, um, yeah, so certainly in the fact that Twin Peaks came back after all this time with Kyle MacLachlan, the star of it, ancient, ancient Dale Cooper, Laura Dern was on that as well. An amazing show, and just, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for Showtime for bringing that, and just freaking it happen for sure. I'll give it a good look as yeah. well. And that's all the time we have left. Thank you, Ben. Uh, thank time. you. This is a lot of fun, Nick. Next week, we'll be covering the best movies of the decade. Until then, see you next week, same time, at the decade's best, live from CMRU.ca.